Sony. Good afternoon, Canada. Today's date is March 9th, 2021. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense. It's Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. And I'm back, baby. Good to have you back. Always great to hear your voice, that's for sure. Yeah, I apologize to the listeners for missing last week's show. I had some uh, uh, personal... Uh, things to deal with that uh, prevented me from being on the show, but I'm back. So let's, Great uh, yeah, we should, we should just get started. Let's do that. Okay. So we, we've got a, a bit of an abbreviated show for you today, but we're still going to pack it chock full of good old Canadian common sense on the show today. Huffington Post Canada, no more. Is Justin Trudeau really the best guy to lead us into the next election? What the heck happened in Sherbrooke? Aaron O'Toole, not as advertised. Was Lewis right again? And more. Where do you want to start, sir? Well, let's just start. Um, well, I want to talk about gun control. Let's do it. All right. So, um. This started earlier today when I saw an article um, that showed that in Dundee, and I think that's in Ontario, Dundee, um, the RCMP intercepted 249 illegally smuggled in handguns from the United States. And they intercepted them and seized them. And uh, a Sherbrooke man has been arrested uh, for the for this smuggling operation. But, you know, with B- Bill C-22, you probably just get house arrest. And um, this, uh, this has got me just really riled up because we've been told by Justin Trudeau and the federal liberals that you and I are the problem. And so I thought we were the problem, but as it turns out, we're not the problem. People smuggling guns in from the United States are the problem. Perish the thought. Yeah. And so when I saw this, I thought this can't be true. Handguns are, are, are illegal. But someone smuggled them in. Imagine that. So this, my friends, is how you crack down on gun crimes. Is by intercepting firearms that are being smuggled in from the United States. You don't don't crack down on gun crimes by targeting law-abiding citizens. Yep, exactly right. And not, nothing could have been made clearer than by a, a CBC radio show on the weekend in Vancouver where a where the, get this, the criminology professor from SFU, that's Simon Fraser University. It's a big Canadian university outside of UBC in British Columbia, it's the biggest university in BC. 
And the criminology professor from SFU was on this radio show in Vancouver on CBC, where he claimed Canadians don't need handgun, don't need to carry handguns in the city. Well, no kidding. Canadians haven't been allowed to do that in what, 50 years, 60 years? Like handguns have been like made restricted weapons something like 60 years ago. Like you, you can't do that. It is already illegal. And he's a criminology professor at one of Canada's largest universities. Jeez. And yeah, even, you know after, even after several callers called him on it and told him he was wrong, he still, he still voiced this, uh, this falsehood that Canadians right now carry handguns. And he also claimed that there, that ha- that you cannot call a gun owner responsible because those words don't go together. <laughs> this is the mentality that we are fighting against right now. The, the, that mentality is way more common than, than you think or than you know. I mean, this is this is a very common attitude, especially in large urban centers. They be, they believe that our gun laws are much like the United States is. They believe that gun owners are uh, sadistic criminals, and, and that guns should just be banned altogether. And this is this is the mentality that that we're fighting against right now. Yeah, you know, I actually I did hear, um, and it wasn't this particular show because I did because this is all new no, to, me. to me. But so I uh, did hear a person on another one of the politics shows who said something very similar. He said, "Well, no Canadian needs needs to have a handgun. There's there's no there's really no purpose for handguns in Canada." And of course, I'm a member of the Canadian Sports Shooters Association, and yeah, it's called target shooting. That's what I do. And well, you kind of can use a handgun for that. So you're right. It's I hate to use this word. It's misinformation. These people don't know what the hell they're talking about. Well, it's it's um, it's even worse than that. It's 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 complete ignorance. Yet they talk about it as if they're educated on the subject. And it, it's it's a. Uh, uh, here, here, this is something. Okay, I heard it put this way: banning guns because of uh, illegal, like banning legal weapons because of illegal weapons, is the same as banning cars because of some drunk drivers. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's a good equivalent. You ban everybody from driving because of uh, because of some drunk drivers. Now, and, and it's true, but at the same time, here here's here's the other thing: who the hell are you to tell me that I don't need a gun? I mean, you don't need anything. Everything is a want. You you need shelter, you need food, but you don't need a 60 inch TV, 
You don't need a BMW. You can have a smart car. You know, like this is all like this is what liberals do. Liberals project their own feelings as if that is the only acceptable opinion. And they've been doing this on everything lately. Uh, you know, canceling everything that, that, I mean, Dr. Seuss, God forbid you read a Dr. Seuss book, you might end up a racist before you're on page 16. The, yeah. um, I mean, liberals, liberals project their, their feelings as if that is the only acceptable position on things. And, and they're doing it with guns. They're doing it with everything. It's like, they don't like guns, so you shouldn't be allowed to have guns. And that's BS. Yeah. You know, it's funny, the example this came to mind that uh, because some teenage guy crashes his sport bike out on a major city street that, or, you know, because Hell's Angels ride motorcycles, motorcycles should be banned, period. Yeah. You don't deserve to have one. And here's the kicker. Every RCMP officer that I have talked to about this supports concealed and open carry in Canada. Every single one that I've talked to. Oh, I'd be all for it. Yeah. And you know why? Because in every single U.S. state that has open or concealed carry, their gun crimes, their violent crimes are all lower than anywhere in Canada. Yeah, I'd believe that. It's because somebody who's thinking of, you know, perpetrating some violence against you could very well be faced, uh, be, be looking down the barrel of another gun. So people don't, they just don't do it. Yeah, no, it's a great deterrent. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, every time, every single mass shooting has happened in a gun-free zone. Yeah. Again, that's true. Yeah. So, all right, what's next? All right. So you just as before we started the show, you, uh, Dropped me the news about Huffington Post Canada, so do tell. Yeah, Huffington Post Canada and Huffington Post Quebec have been shut down. Uh, the BuzzFeed recently bought the Huffington Post empire from uh, Verizon and uh, immediately just started shutting down offices. Uh, the interesting part is that in Canada, uh, they... Uh, recently unionized and um, and as soon as they unionized Huffington Post shuts down the office they they Huffington Post Canada and Huffington Post Quebec I believe are the only ones they've shut down so far the others the uh, other ones they've cut back on staff they've laid staff off but uh, honestly I'm not going to shed a tear Huffington Post is very left wing like like uh hilariously left-wing um but the but the funniest part about it is that huffington post used to be like so left-wing it was scary and uh mainstream outlets such as uh cbc and cnn have surpassed it and uh huffington post has almost become uh uh you know 
they're almost uh, uh, in the middle and not because they changed their position on anything, but because the mainstream media has gone absolutely bonkers. Yeah, that's, that's all true. Yeah. That's so, a- but, but like I said, I'm not going to shed a tear. Um, Huffington post is part of the reason why uh, society has gone um, uh, absolutely crazy and have have moved has moved so far to the left yeah no, that's a good point yeah i'm not going to miss them at all but i am yeah i'm very surprised to hear that they're gone that's uh i'm guessing a very sudden decision because i hadn't had even heard any rumors well they they claim that uh the decision was made before the end of 2020 the unionization happened in january uh, they're saying that that had nothing to do with the unionization. I have a feeling that it probably had a lot to do with the unionization um, because anybody who runs a business knows that unions ruin everything for the most part. Um, so, uh, which would be kind of ironic since it's a left-wing outlet. But uh, yeah, so that's the end of Huffington Post Canada. Wow. Well then, yeah. Okay, so moving on. Um, <laughs> You're speechless there for. I am. Yeah. Um, yeah. So do we want to talk about Mr. O'Toole, or do we want to talk about you? Well, I don't know. As much as I like talking about me, let's talk about <laughs> Aaron O'Toole first. <laughs> yeah. Um, Definitely not as advertised. I mean, it's uh, when Aaron O'Toole was running for the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada, he passed himself off as the true blue conservative and he was all in with the social conservatives and he was definitely to the right of Peter McKay and it worked for him. It got him elected leader. And then as soon as he became leader, he started sprinting to the political left and was quite happy to tell the Toronto Star editorial board that they were a centrist party and he was all in for the Paris Accord. And and he's, then he's gone back and forth. Like last week, you had pointed out that he suddenly came out and was going to repeal C-21 if he became prime minister. And he's all over the board. So I'm starting to understand why it is that Canadians don't trust him. Yeah, I don't understand what's happened there. Uh, to be quite honest, because it, during the leadership campaign, like you, you rightfully mentioned, he, uh, he passed himself off as a, uh, as, as a true blue conservative and even placated the, uh, the social conservatives in the party. Um, and now it's, I don't even know what he stands for. That's actually a good way to put it. Yeah, I don't know what he stands for either. I mean, he's he's gone back and forth, and yeah, and you said like he's all over the map, and he really is. I mean, he came out uh, several weeks back and said that he lamented the fact that private sector union membership was is is waning and uh, and has been dropping, which I I'm not sure why that's a bad thing considering if 
if companies look after their employees, the, the employees have no reason to unionize. Um, I don't know why that's a bad thing. It's always been a conservative um, viewpoint that, that unions are uh, difficult to deal with and they, and they may just make everything more expensive. Um, so he did that. And then, and then he, you know, did something that was totally conservative and said that he would repeal C21, the gun control bill. Uh, and, um, but he's, yeah, I, I mean, I, I just don't know what he stands for. Well, and then he rightfully, you know, introduced a motion in the House to call on the Canadian government to ban Huawei from Canada's 5G network production development, I should yeah. say. And yeah. rightfully so. We were all all in for him on that. And then just this past week, he hires Huawei's former Canadian VP to be his communications and strategy man for the Conservative Party of Canada. Yeah. And and I so I have the case. Okay, so you don't like Huawei, but at the time you were saying ban Huawei, you were very likely already in, in conversations with Huawei's former Canadian VP. I yeah. don't get it. No, I don't understand it either. It's it, I mean, even if this this former VP is like, you know. I hated working at Huawei, but it was, you know, it was, uh, it, I was putting in my time and, and, uh, until something better came along or whatever, I, I, it doesn't matter. This is bad optics. Well, very bad optics. Yeah. And it's just like, I don't know if he's, if Mr. O'Toole is just clueless to that or if he just doesn't care or like, I, I don't, I'd love to be able to talk to him and say, what is your angle? Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you 100%. I, I just, I'm failing to understand their, uh, their strategy here. Yeah. Well, and what disturbs me even more, and you had told me this just before we started the show, is that I'm guessing probably part of because of Mr. O'Toole's wishy-washiness is Canadian voters are actually leaning more toward Justin Trudeau. Yeah, there was a recent poll released. I don't have the numbers on me because the uh, the information wouldn't load uh, before we started the show, so I don't I don't have the the numbers. I mean, and the numbers the, the numbers could say that none of them are trusted. Just Trudeau is the most trusted of the ones they don't trust, but. Uh, Justin Trudeau came out on top as the leader that Canadians trust the most with the country's purse strings. And this is what I don't understand. I don't understand this at all, considering Trudeau is, is, has blown more money out the door since his first election uh, win as prime minister of the country well before any COVID spending came about. I mean, he's just, he, he ramped up the spending to a degree that, that just left our heads spinning and Canadian. And, and I mean, he's never run a budget anywhere near balanced and yet Canadians trust him with spending. Yeah. I thought 
that totally blows my mind. I mean, he's piled on more debt than every previous Canadian prime minister combined, yet he's the one Canadians are going to say, yeah, that's yeah. our guy. So how bad do the rest of the pol- political leaders in Canada have to be that Canadians are going to look at Justin Trudeau and say, yeah, well, we could do worse. No, no, we can't. Well, we really we could, can't. We could elect uh, Jagmeet Singh. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you but, win. Yeah. But I mean, like, I don't care how wishy-washy Aaron O'Toole is. Uh, he, he's a million times better than the joke we have for a prime minister right now. Oh, absolutely right. But, yeah. And, and I mean, this is, this is, I mean, here, I'll give you an example of what's happening um, right now. I mean, Justin Trudeau has increased the, the Canadian national debt by an order of magnitude larger than what we've lost in GDP during COVID. I mean, like, I, I don't even, I, I, and I'm not sure what the number is. Do you, I, I don't know if you know the number, but it's, it's substantially larger than the drop in our GDP. Yeah. I don't have the numbers in front of me either, but it's, uh, well, we can just say embarrassing. It's shockingly high. Like before COVID Canada's, National public debt, and so that includes federal and provincial governments, and um, uh, so all levels of government, including civic, was 83%, I believe, of GDP. And right now we're, we're closing in on 100% of GDP. Yeah, and that's going to get worse because, of course, our GDP has now shrunk somewhat, and... Yeah. I'm not sure if they will, will expand this year. If, well, should our economy ever get to open again? So it's looking ugly, it, Canada. It is. And next year, it's projected to be uh, between 105 and 110 percent of GDP. Like this is like for 2021, yeah. I guess would be this year. But um, yeah, I mean, like this is this is insane. It's absolutely insane. It is. Yep. So now that we've talked about O'Toole, let's talk about me. Exactly. Speaking of insane, now you had said this last year. I can't remember if it was in the fall, might even have been in the summer. And not myself, but a lot of people in the mainstream media said that people like you were a bunch of conspiracy theorists because you dared to say the words vaccine passports. Yeah. And suddenly I keep hearing talk about vaccine passports. Where did we hear that before? Yeah. I mean, this is, this is something that I find fairly scary. Um, You've got Israel was the first one to do it uh, where you're not even allowed to go shopping unless you've been vaccinated. Um, And you've got to carry around your uh, identification, your, your uh, proof of, vaccination which i found somewhat ironic that the jews are labeling people um but hey 
we'll uh we'll give them a pass on that i guess but um but now they're talking about doing it here in canada and justin trudeau said uh that he will listen to the experts uh with regards to vaccine passports and my question is who the hell are experts on vaccine passports yeah i mean and not just was he trying to pass it off that he will listen to experts he actually came right out and said that it wasn't a a horrible idea or it was an idea worth considering or something to that effect yeah and i and i'm sorry but this is this is really starting to get into uh 1984 territory well it is and it's uh it's absolutely ridiculous i mean i'm not really in favor of getting the vaccine right away. I'm not opposed to getting one. I'm just opposed to getting one when I don't know anything about long-term effects on said vaccine. But honestly, if it means, you know, you must get this vaccine in order to travel, in order to attend a hockey game, et cetera, et cetera, of course, a lot of people are going to line up for it. And it's, there's got to be, got to be some kind of, a charter breach involved here for the vaccine passports. I, I can't find it anything that would be specific to that, but I mean, there's, there's gotta be something to protect us from this. Well, your, your, uh, your freedom of movement. We have a see They could pass that off and say, well, you have mobility rights, get the, get the vaccine. You can go wherever you want. And I don't well, buy see, the I, argument I that it's a public I don't, emergency. I don't I, I don't buy that argument. I mean, uh, because if you don't get an experimental vaccine, you are not allowed to, um, you won't be allowed to go to the store. You won't be allowed to go to concerts or hockey games or or fly somewhere. I mean, that's infringing upon your rights and freedoms, your freedom of mobility or freedom of uh, association. Um, well, see what I would think all that too. And so I'm wondering how they yeah. weasel their way out of it because it's, it is scary. It, it scares the hell out of me to think that not only is the government, you know, prepared to do this, but as you pointed out in a previous show, you know, a very large majority of Canadians seem to be all for these kind of, uh, these kind of draconian measures. And yeah, I don't know, it's I don't know who they're polling. That's really scary, man. The way uh, society is, has become, exceptionally uh uh totalitarian and 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 uh authoritarian lately um there's they 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 were all in favor of vaccine passports they're all in favor of of mandatory vaccines when these vaccines are not even approved for medical use in Canada they're approved for emergency use the vaccine manufacturers have been uh, completely shielded of any, from any kind of uh, uh, lawsuits re- coming from adverse side effects. Uh, there's, um, you've got uh, uh, the some of these vaccines were rep- reported to have like uh, an adverse reaction of something like thirty percent. Um, the you've got vaccines that have an efficacy rate of 63 percent 
that it's going to be mandatory that you get that. Well, why? That my immune system is better than that. Um, well, yeah. The, the, uh, I mean, we've got a, we've got a long-term care facility in uh, the interior of BC here that just had another outbreak and every single patient and employee has been vaccinated. Yeah. See, that's weird. I mean, uh... so, I mean, what the hell? And then we've got a government who can't even get vaccines. I mean, Johnson and Johnson just announced today that their, their production is, is uh, they've got lots of problems and they won't be able to deliver the vaccines to Canada. So, I mean, like we can't, we can't, Canadians can't even get vaccines yet. They want to ban everybody who doesn't have a vaccine from flying or going to concerts or going to hockey games and having to carry around a passport that, you know, I mean, let, let's just, let's just set up check stops everywhere and, uh, and have to get our, our vaccine passports stamped every time we go through them. I mean, it sounds, you know, this, this is, this is scary stuff. It's very scary stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's ridiculous to think that people are convinced somehow that this is, this, this is a good idea, or at least it's, you know, that's what will keep us safe. And just, I'm beyond shaking my head at this stuff anymore. Yeah. All right. I, we will, I, our time is limited. So let's find out where else you're right. Uh, okay. Now, Tell me. So, so you had called in our year-end show. I referred to this last week. You had said that there was going to be a spring election, and while that election has yet to be called, you, I think all the the signs that you had given out the, to say is coming are starting to come true. I and mean, we're seeing Trudeau trying to clear legislation. You're seeing candidates being nominated left, right, and center. You're hearing Anita Anand and every other government talking head railing about the number of vaccines that Canada has coming and that we're going to have a surplus of vaccines in the second quarter. And suddenly now they're saying, oh, even by June, most Canadians should be vaccinated. Well, you kind of can hear the, the election drums beating. You already are hearing there's going to be talk of a budget coming and I had said in last week's show, my suspicion is going to be that the Trudeau government is going to deliberately have MPs not attend the budget vote so that the budget will fail. I'm also hearing that perhaps they will just simply pass a budget that even Jagmeet Singh can't support. And it's starting <clears throat> to sound like you were right yet again, my friend. Well... <laughs> I don't want to beat my own chest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's there there's indicators that this is coming, and I mean, with poll results like the one that we we talked about earlier about Trudeau being trusted, the most trusted leader with the with the fi country's finances, um, just gives more and more. Uh, reason for him to call one now uh, because I really don't see his numbers getting a whole lot better than they are at the moment especially considering that vaccines are going to keep getting delayed um, that on southern Ontario is still facing draconian lockdown measures um, I mean it's it's insane um, 
in in BC here, I mean, Dr. Bonnie Henry said that uh, we could be lifting our our COVID restrictions within the next few weeks. Um, so that that's great news for us. But you know who else it's great news for? It's great news for Justin Trudeau and the Liberals. Because people are going to say, oh, well, it's because of the vaccines and he got us the vaccines. When it really has nothing to do with the vaccines because BC hasn't even really, I mean, we've only vaccinated an extremely tiny amount. And if you actually look at COVID numbers around the world, it doesn't matter if your if your society was fully open, fully locked down, unvaccinated or fully vaccinated. All of the COVID numbers in every jurisdiction are dropping at the same rates. Yeah, that part's true. And you hear some other different world leaders jumping on Sweden because Sweden, you know, was probably the most relaxed and yeah. their numbers are actually better than their Nordic counterparts, all their, their Nordic neighbors. So yes, they are. Yeah. What is that telling us? You know? Well, look at, look at down in the States, look at Florida and California. Florida was fully open. California was probably under the strictest lockdown measures in North America outside of the city of Toronto. And um, their numbers are very, very close. And California was locked down for almost a year. And Florida has been open for the last eight months, fully open, no mask mandate. And they and their numbers are very, very close to the same. Yeah, no. Right. In terms right. of in terms of death per millions and all of that. Yeah, so, so I think you're right. The Justin Trudeau's definitely got the. Uh, well, he's got COVID numbers on his side, just as far as their their numbers are declining. And of course, yes, yeah. he's the white knight riding the vaccine train in, and people don't get. Well, them. Think- we still don't have them. <laughs> yeah, and we still. And here's the other thing that people need to understand is that. Um, He's, he's going to want to go to the polls before all these people who've been receiving CERB and CRB uh, and all of that start getting told they have to pay all the money back. Yeah. And because a lot of them are going to be told that they have to pay the money back. Yeah, that's a good point. And he's only extended those benefits until the end of May. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why I'm thinking there's going to be an election in May. Um, now, here's here's the the other thing um, that's making life very, very difficult for small businesses right now. And we called this last year with the introduction of CERB um, is that with all this money that the government is just throwing at people to stay home, um, nobody wants to work. And we said this last summer, and I mean, because I was, I was shocked by the fact that I was not receiving any uh, resumes, and I normally would get about a resume a week when I'm not advertising for a job, and when I am advertising for a job, I would get about 100 to 120 resumes in a week. Um, and I didn't get a single resume sent to my company from middle of... March until 
middle of February this year. Wow. And, and I put an ad out for, uh, for workers three and a half weeks ago and I've received 14 resumes and in three and a half weeks. And normally I would be, I would have a, like between 80 and 120 within five or six days. Now I have competitors and other small business owners that I know and I'm friends with who are all experiencing the same problems I'm having and they can't get anybody to apply. And I've got, there's guys that are, that are offering up to $40 an hour for jobs that they used to pay 18 to 20 for. And they, and they can't get anyone to apply. I have, uh, two competitors that are working by themselves because they can't find a single employee. Wow. I mean, this is what the government is doing with these programs is absolutely killing small business right now. I mean, I've got work booked until July right now, and I can't find employees. And this is, this is a problem that all small businesses are having right now. And it's not, uh, it's like the government just keeps extending these programs or whatever. I mean, if you, did you know that EI only needs three weeks of work before you qualify right now? Well, I didn't realize it was that low, but I knew they had cut the hours back drastically, but that's obscene. It's 120 hours, which is three weeks at 40 hours a week. Jeez. And they're talking about making CERB like, uh, like I know CERB is over. It's now called CRB, which is the Canadian recovery benefit, which is, I was, if for lack of a better description, it's CERB. It's oh, the yeah. same damn thing. It's no different. And people are still just sitting at home collecting. And they'd rather just sit at home and play video games or whatever than actually work. And it's, it's destroying small businesses. I mean, this, it's crazy that small businesses are being just bombarded with, with phone calls for, for customers and everything. We've got so much work. We, can, we can't even keep up. And yet nobody wants to work. We can't find anybody to work. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I can I can understand having these programs in place in places like Toronto where they're still locked down, but uh, BC doesn't need it. I don't know a single business that is still being forced to be closed. So why why are we paying people to stay home? They should be out getting jobs. And if you want to turn uh, CERB or CRB or whatever into a uh, uh, into a, uh, a universal basic income, then you might as well just put the nail in the the final nail in the coffin of the Canadian small business economy. Well, and I'm afraid that's where they're going. I mean, when this election does get called, um, UBI is going to be on the platform of, of it's already in the Green Party platform, and I'm sure that the NDP will be all into it as well. So, 
Oh, the NDP will. De- I think I believe they're already calling for it. Okay. And there's and there's already. Uh, I've I've heard uh, a couple of liberal MPs already saying that they would fully support a UBI. I mean, we're. Do people not understand that that is like one step removed from communism? They don't. That's the thing. I mean, uh, I know I've listened to well, the Green Party leader provincially here talk about and oh this this for the ubi people won't be afraid to be creative and try to expand their horizons into different lines of work and and just the the way she's talking about it's like okay not everybody wants to be an artist or be a painter or you know do something with that liberal arts degree or enroll in women's studies or other things that won't get you a job and yes i know i'm offending some people by saying that but reality being people actually need to earn their way through through this world nothing is free i mean eventually we got to pay for it and this government just keeps adding more and more program spending and they don't inject any kind of common sense into their economic policy to allow the private sector to pay for it and here's what happens with things like ubi or government intervention in uh in in financial transactions okay when people deemed universities too expensive and that we needed these government backed student loans um the cost of university actually skyrocketed yeah um and it's because they knew the universities knew they could charge more because the government is backing these loans. So everybody's going to get these loans. Well, now everybody has to get loans or else they can't afford to go to school. And it's like, this is what happens. we got, we got the same problem with healthcare. Um, healthcare in Canada, any way you want to look at it, is rationed here. It is absolutely rationed. If you need to get a, a, a lump removed, even if you do a biopsy and you find out it's cancerous, you could be waiting six to eight weeks to get it removed. Wow. You have, to, you have to wait 18 to 24 months to have a hip or knee replacement. You, I mean, these... And it's all because it's rationed because the government only has so much money. And... I mean, surgeons in Canada are only allowed to operate one day a week. Wow. Did I, I bet most listeners didn't even know that. I didn't know that. Surgeons in Canada are only allowed to operate one day a week. And you wonder why it takes 18 to 24 months for a hip or knee replacement or for back surgery or six to eight weeks to have a cancerous tumor removed. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. It's absolutely insane. But whenever the government gets involved in these things, it only makes matters worse. And yet people, if you ask anybody on the street, do you trust the government to run any program properly? The answer is going to be no, like 90% of the time. And yet those very same people want the government to have more control over, over our lives. Yep. Sad, but true. 
So I know we've actually gone longer than I said I had time for, so I better get going. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, so Canada, that's another disappointing uh, and sad uh, ending on one of our Canadian Common Sense episodes. So from Lewis out here in BC, I am saying good night, Canada. And from Tony in Saskatchewan, good night.